Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, you cannot do a series on the indelible hits of the 80s without talking about this song. I Can't Wait by New Shoes. So this week's guest is the married couple behind New Shoes, Valerie Day and John Smith. And I'm not kidding, they're two of the nicest people you will ever hear from, ever. So, New Shoes, you may not know this, had actually been around for years before they hit it big with I Can't Wait. Very experimental, always been in Portland. They've been Portland-based, they still live in Portland, and there was always a lot of people on stage covering a lot of different genres of music. They primarily sort of landed on funk, but um, a lot of experimentation. Eventually, they got their major label debut album, Poolside, out in 1986, and it included two hit songs, I Can't Wait, which reached number three, and Point of No Return, which reached number 28. That was really the height of their popularity. However, I mean, this song has never gone away. It's sampled in other songs. You hear it at sporting events. You hear it in movies and commercials. In fact, it is one of the most, quote-unquote, iconic bass lines of all time. John hates that word. You'll find out a little bit more about that later. Anyway, this was a really refreshing, open and honest conversation. Valerie details their philosophy about propping up or, li- or maintaining their lifestyle as the three legs of a stool and how you have to have all three legs in order to keep it going, pay your bills, maintain your life. It's really interesting. And John and I nerd out on music a lot. A lot mostly me, I'm afraid. Hope that's okay. One thing I think is really interesting that you may not know is that New Shoes put out a new album last year called Bagtown that is really, really good. Now, if you've been following the podcast, the last three weeks we've been talking to people who performed at the Lost 80s live tour last summer. Cutting Crew, Anna Motion, and now New Shoes. And what you may not know is that within the last two years, all three of those bands have released new music. So, people who think about bands in terms of where they were back in the 80s or what they did back in the day as sort of being frozen in time, keep in mind that these artists continue to make music and it's worth your time to investigate. It's really good. So I hope you learn a lot in this conversation. They are wonderful people. They called me from their home in Portland. A few months ago, I, I'm originally from Salt Lake City. And so I drove to Salt Lake City at the end of August and saw you guys at the Lost 80s concert that you did there. And my brother and I, so I got to tell you, I'm really close to my brother, and that was a really great day seeing all these bands that I really loved. But hearing I Can't Wait was the best, most transcendent moment or song of the whole concert for us. We agreed. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, because if you, I mean, you figure this is a whole festival based on nostalgia, right? And feeling good and remember, remembering good times. But nothing kicked in the nostalgia as sweet as hearing you guys do I Can't Wait. So that was kind of the MVP moment of the whole show for us. Wow. So I just wanted you to know, yeah. So how old were you and what were you doing when that song was on the air? Very, very good question. I'm 43, so I was 13 in 1986. Mm-hmm. And I remember very specifically seeing the video on Friday night videos because my parents didn't want us to have MTV, but we were allowed to watch Friday night videos, which doesn't make a lot of sense now, but that was the case. <laughs> so every Friday, you know, I had to stay up super late so I would see my favorite videos on there. And you guys were for sure on there. 
And I remember very distinctly being very confused because the voice on the song that I had been listening to for weeks on the radio did not match this cute blonde that was in the video. I had never connected that that's what the person singing I Can't Wait would look like. Oh, funny. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what that means, but that was that's my biggest memory from 1986. Is, plus, the video's crazy. I know. I mean, isn't it, it great? didn't help that. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't hurt that you guys not only had a great song, but this crazy video. What was what went into that? Were you did people come to you saying, "I have an idea"? Were you guys involved in the creation of it? How did that happen? Well, that was a video that was made by Jim Blashfield, who actually lives here in Portland, and the, the oh, label wow. the label got us connected. Actually, okay. And um, we found out, we're friends with Jim still, because he still lives here and we still live in Portland. And we found out, you know, 25 years later that he had actually just improvised the entire thing. He just knew that, you know, we were going to the soundstage and he brought all this crazy stuff for us to interact with. And then Uh we just shot footage all day. And then, of course, he did that excellent post-production afterwards. And I I really liked it because it was so non-literal. It just did not go where you expected it to go. No. And, you know, I still think I'm probably one of the the few pop singers from that era that was doing small appliance repair in their video for their hit songs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, these like, wrenches are falling out of the sky. What does yeah, that mean? And yeah, what is that? Sunglasses. I know. It, it was just the coolest thing. And we st- that's still, our, our, I think, one of our favorite videos to this day. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So, okay, so the thing, John and I were starting to kind of talk about this before you came on, Val, and, and I'm curious, one of the things that, uh, you new shoes is very difficult to sort of pigeonhole, and I'm wondering, I've done some research on you guys, I know that you came from a jazz background and a salsa background, and coming together, deciding you wanted to do some funk and some white R&B or whatever, what was the plan when you got together, or was there even a plan? Wow, that's a a large question. But but the oh, short version is, I went to New York and and saw the real Latin bands, you know, Celia Cruz and uh, yeah. Tito Puente and stuff. And just went, you know, I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm never going to be Puerto Rican. <laughs> I want right. to do an American thing because I, I grew up in the Motown era anyway, collecting yeah. 45s that came out every week. You know, James Brown had a new single out every week. But after being in a Latin band, we had to have horns, and it had to be large. You know, it had to have horns uh-huh. and congas and stuff. And I just came home determined to do a soul band with horns. And the first thing was to try to get a vocal group together around a band, you know. Okay. And it took a long time. It, it took about a year and a half for it to solidify. And then all of a sudden, wham, we were big in the clubs, and there was... Lots of places to play. We played every weekend for years and sometimes five nights a week. And I got to tell you, like, my biggest thrill really was becoming one of the top local bands. Even more than getting signed. Getting signed was nice, but really, you know, I went into it just wanting to have a band that had a t shirt and mic stands. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right. Seriously. um, Yeah. That was was amazing. uh, 1981 up to uh, like 80 through the summer of 82 was wow. like just incredible. If I could put a piece of my life on a loop, 
Uh-huh. That would be that would it. be it. Yeah. Really, that's fascinating. Now, uh, so I talked to a lot of people on here who were sort of big deals regionally, you know, and some of them then broke out, and some of them it, the intent was to break them out through a major label deal, and it didn't happen or whatever. But Portland, is there a is there a vibrant enough sort of club scene for you to make a living as a musician just playing on weekends around Portland? Well, in those days, we actually played between two and five nights a week. Oh, and goodness. then the rest, we played so much that the rest of the time we were just trying to get, we were rehearsing to get new material into the book so we wouldn't go crazy. Because we played four but, hours. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Didn't I re- Are there like 12 of you on stage too? Okay. There were, you know, in the, in a, the seven-year time period that was before happened before we got the record deal, there were at, probably at least 50 people that went through the band. And mostly wow. we were a nine-piece. Yeah. You can think okay. of it like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the reason that okay. it, the reason that it worked is because Portland at that time was an a, re, a an easy place to live. The uh, rents sure. the rents were low. Most things were, che- you know, che- it was cheap to live yeah. here, and yeah. so um, yeah, that that was the the biggest thing. Okay. Yeah, our rent was like a hundred dollars. Really, for a nice apartment. Oh goodness! Now, when when did you guys get married? Eighty two. Okay, so you guys are during over the course of this really beautiful period of your life, John. You're finding your voice musically. You're having a good time. You're meeting and marrying Val. What kind of music are you guys playing for the most part? Is it a little bit of everything? Are you combining everything? I'm guessing with you mean back then nine people. What's that? Uh, yeah, you back mean back then. then. By the way, Val and I uh, were together seven years before we got married. Oh, goodness. Okay, so you guys go uh, way back. Wow. Yeah, and she wasn't even playing music at that time. The first incarnation of New Shoes was just too eclectic because uh, mm. democracies do not work in bands. Yeah. We were a de- benevolent dictatorship. You know, so the first band was a four-piece, and you know, they, people were bringing in Beatles covers and Eric Clapton mm. and... I was trying to do Temptations and, and uh, you know, vocal stuff from the Motown book. And we were writing originals and all this stuff. And then about 1980, uh, everybody left but me. And we put the 12-piece together, which eventually slimmed down to nine. It was really, you know, you can't really uh, plan this stuff. But then we were playing <laughs> Tower of Power and Earth, Wind & Fire there and a little bit of Latin stuff, Latin horn stuff, and okay. a few uh, big band blues things, and uh, okay. Cold Blood, and a lot of originals, because Portland's always been about originals.
the clubs that we played in, the premier club at that time was called the Last Hurrah, and they actually required you to play 20% originals or something like that. Really? We played oh, more than that. That's not common. Okay. So we're just writing all the time and yeah. playing all the time. So by the time we got signed, man, we were ready. Yeah. We could and that play. We job, could get up and right? play. We we weren't ready in a lot of other ways, but this we were true. we were ready yeah. in terms of uh, that we'd actually you paid your dues. Yeah, we right. paid our dues musically as a band. Yeah, yeah. As a, okay, and was that your job? I mean, you're gigging so much. Are you carrying a day job? No, and then playing at night. Okay, no. so you're able to make a living just gigging around Portland. Not yeah. in the Rita. beginning. No, okay. Actually, not in the beginning, and only the horn players got paid in the beginning because there were twelve oh. people and. They were the ones that yeah. were reading charts, so uh-huh. they were the ones. That and we were making twelve dollars at the door, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. right? Right, You know, at first that that was yeah. like the first year. That was nineteen eighty, and then after that, by the spring of eighty one, we were all making a living. And by a living, what that means is that at the end of the week, I had enough money left over for a quarter beer and a Conan comic book. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, what do you need? really right up right? on the margin. Of course. That's all you need. If that's right? what makes you well, happy, that's what it's you know? all about, it right? It's lovely. Making it is really just having the freedom to get what you want that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. That's really it. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. So it's interesting, though, because your sound, once you become the new shoes that everyone knows, with I Can't Wait and Poolside comes out and everything, my impression was always, as a, and again, I'm 13 years old, but my impression then was that New Shoes was really, at that point, just the two of you, and that maybe both of you or maybe a little more John was sort of a studio wizard, you know, like liked to get in there and kind of tinker with things and maybe a lot of samples. or and Like I wasn't even, I've never even been sure if the horns on I Can't Wait are real or or the bass real. is real or oh it is okay I didn't know if they were real or synth or whatever I mean that's it's so good but I wasn't sure I didn't know if you were a product of studio wizardry or where you had sort of come from how you stumbled on that sound uh, I you think know, there's a question in there anyway there's an American yeah. version of I can't wait that doesn't have that da, 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 we call it the barking uh-huh. seal. <laughs> Um, (laughs) And it doesn't have that on it. And if Uh you ever listen to the American mix, you would hear what New Shoes sounded like in 1984, 85. Okay.
I was By looking then it was for that. a smaller horn section, two horns instead okay. of four, which was a good thing in a way because having four or five horns like Tower of Power, you've uh-huh. got to use them, and it's a big, yeah. massive sound. Uh, two horns floats over the band a little better without just taking over. Okay. And in fact, like all those Otis Redding records, all the Memphis Stax stuff, Stax Atlantic stuff, Atco stuff, had two horns. It was the Memphis horns, tenor uh-huh. and trumpet. But the studio thing, the the guy from Holland who remixed I Can't Wait, he kind uh-huh. of pushed us toward the electronic thing. And then... When that became a hit, we were sent down to L.A. to make the record in six weeks. And we made it with this guy, Jeff Lorber, who's... Uh, I've heard a, that name. Yeah, he's a fusion, one of the fusion stars of fusion yeah. jazz stars. That's and it. He was yeah. a he was an A-list, triple-scale session guy down in L.A. And he really made Poolside sound like it did. Oh, wow. I don't know. Gosh, I, I'd never seen a sequencer. We went down to do a demo for <laughs> Warner Brothers, and the first thing the engineer says, is, where's your sequencer? We're like, sequencer? Ooh, I don't we didn't know. know, you know. So it was yeah. a miracle to make an, a record with Jeff Lorber. And it, it okay. made it really, really 80s sounding, you know, that, yeah. that yeah. hyper bright, super bright. Yep. People mixed on SSL boards, which made it even brighter. So really, he gets the credit for the the studio sound of Poolside and the next record, Told You So. Told You So, right. Okay. Because yeah, what, what we didn't realize is that making music on stage and making music in the studio are, are really two different things. Yeah, and, that's what I was going to uh, ask We you. didn't have enough money to record very very often in Portland, yeah. you know? And sure. So, um, we couldn't even afford keyboards in the early years. Yeah. Really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. So when you're hearing the final product by Jeff Lorber, I mean, it's, I'm envisioning this band who's been very organic in their musicality, right? Real instruments, nine guys on stage, lots of horns and congas. And, and then you put your fate in the hands of this guy, as accomplished as he was, and he puts an album together that's very synthesized. It's the sound of the, t- of the time, and it's great, and it works on the dance floor. But are you sort of thinking, this isn't really who we are? Or are you hearing it like, I love this. This is the direction I've been trying to go. Oh, wow. Well, I think we were headed in that direction a little bit, as much as we could afford to head in, in okay. that direction. Okay. I mean, that yeah. we were you know, coming out of all that organic-sounding stuff, but what we were really into at, at a certain point was like the system... And yes. um, you know, like all all yeah, the new all the new toys idea. that were coming out were yeah. incredible. I mean, they hadn't you know the 808 was like a revelation yeah. you know to to those of us who were you know from the acoustic yeah, era. And so okay. so it was cool. It was yeah. it was the okay, next good. yeah. Jeff definitely you know we were starting down that road and Jeff just accelerated the process yeah he already yeah. had it you know but, yeah. okay. but it's like you know it, you go to your drummer and you'd say like why can't you go <laughs> <laughs> you know why can't it, you know we were thrilled by the fakeness for that uh-huh. couple year period you know 85 to 88 maybe uh we were thrilled by the fakeness of those sounds 
and the, yeah. just the brightness and the, the preciseness of sequencing uh-huh. a funk track. You know, later on, you know, in the 90s, that evolved into something groovier, which was uh, sampling live playing sure. and sequencing that in. You know, you'd, instead mm-hmm. of think, you know, sample a note of guitar, you know, you would sample a phrase or something, you know, don't right. you know, and put that sure. in and that made it incredibly more lifelike. You mentioned the system. I love them. And I had David Frank on here. Nice guy. Yeah. I had dinner with him. Great guy. Really? Yeah, I love him. And and in kind of revisiting you guys all of your music lately to prepare for this conversation, the system is definitely who I keep coming back to as as a band that would have been a peer of yours at that time soulful music but with a lot of studio kind of like i said studio wizardry going on to create that soulful feel you know what i mean yeah yeah anyway so i think it's interesting and what i've been thinking about with i can't wait is that you have a song that is known for if you were if someone was to say for instance if i was going to tell someone oh i'm talking to new shoes tonight who's new shoes they're the ones behind i can't wait i can't wait what is what song is that I wouldn't sing them the song. I would do the bass line to the song, and that would give it away. Oh, sure, I know that song. There's not that many songs out there where the words are not really what the song is known for. You know, there's not like a sure. that catchy chorus. It's more the bass line that people respond to. There's a um, bunch of different hooks in the song, actually. Yes, which is, very is, much. Yeah, which is absolutely. Great. I'm not as good at the uh, the high pitched. Uh, 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 you know, I, I'm better at the <laughs> well, baseline, actually, I guess. you know, you, you passed the uh, secret new shoes hip test. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Which How is that? If, if uh, it, or the the new shoes cool test. It's like if you come up to us and sing the baseline, then you're cool. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. thank goodness. Oh, thank goodness. I'm glad I passed. Thanks, yeah, guys. You did pass. Oh, that means a lot. There, Good. We'll be sending you a certificate suitable for framing. Oh, I will frame it and proudly <laughs> put it on my wall. Are you kidding? Thank yeah. you so much. So, okay, so we've got, I mean, we got to talk a little bit about the business of I Can't Wait. It gets sampled all the time. It's almost like become, I don't mean this as a criticism, background music in a, in a way, you know? The, I it's think it's so more familiar. of you know, yeah, there you go. It's That's more emblematic yeah. of something. And and I, I don't want to use the word iconic because that, that word should be like... Well, I not, will. Nobody <laughs> is allowed to use that word for the next 30 years. Good point. Good you know, point. It's okay. been used so much. But that is that is a hood ornament from that era, you know? Sure. You look at the Mercedes hood ornament and you... No, it's Mercedes, and you look yeah, at that's it. I can't wait. You hear I can't wait, and you go, oh yeah, the mid eighties. Yeah, and yeah. and it's. I think it still sounds fresh. That's what I was going to say. And I think say. that uh, yeah. we're just really grateful that we, you know, got to plant our flag on the moon, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful thing because we've yeah. been able to live, and it's enabled us to do everything else that we do. Because, That's what I'm wondering. Because, man, do you really expect that I would want to sound like I did at age 28 right. for that moment right. in the studio right. in in 1985? You know, I was yeah. I was doing that thing, but you know, that yeah. was uh, you know I've been in music for 45 years, and other things become interesting. 
But, yeah, you want to talk about I Can't Wait, so let's do that. Well, no, I'm curious. I mean, what what could you live off only I Can't Wait money? I mean, does it – and, for, again, forgive me if any of these – I try to cover the business side as sensitively as I can. So if no, I No, you don't need to uh, worry about, okay. uh, like, you know, you don't need to okay. uh, use kid gloves with us. Okay, okay. Um, you know, publishing is ups and downs. And we it depends on what time period in our lives you're talking about too. So uh, yeah. we always we always talk. I've taught voice for like 20 years. I haven't recently, but that was okay. a big chunk of my adult life was teaching. And hmm. people will always ask me, you know, that question. You know, first of all, how do I make it, and how do I how yeah. do I make ends meet? And we always at our house talk about the three-legged stool. You know, you have to have at least three different things going on that are money-making enterprises for yourself if you're going to be an artist. So right now, we're able to make a living again as musicians, but for the longest time, we did not make uh, enough money through publishing to live, but mm. that was still a helpful one of the legs, you know, on that school. Sure, school. that makes yeah. sense. And then yeah. we had our day music jobs, which John was right. in advertising for 20 years, and I taught for 20 years, and, and then the third leg of the stool for me was gigs, and I didn't make very much money doing jazz, but I loved doing it. A beautiful theme from every dream I ever knew Down deep in my heart, I hear it play I feel the start, then melt away I hear music when I touch your hand A beautiful melody from some enchanted land Down deep in my heart I hear it say, is this the day? I alone have heard this lovely strain. I alone have heard this glad refrain. Must it be forever inside of me? Why can't I let it go? Why can't I let you know? Why can't I let you know the song my heart would sing? That beautiful rhapsody of love and youth and spring. Words are true. The song is you. I heard your jazz album. Yeah, so these other two legs of the stool would actually end up supporting. Uh, that okay. third leg a little bit because it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a big money maker and so now it's still kind of the same way actually because publishing has gotten better in because we have a, a a really awesome publishing company that actually goes out and works our catalog oh good and finds good. placements for it which is lovely mm-hmm. and then we also are doing these eighties gigs uh, yeah, where we are ask you, about those you know too. touring around and and so that allows us to do the third leg of the stool, which doesn't make very much money, which is our band, which we still, yeah. you know, love to do. And we made this record, and we don't expect to make a lot of money off of that. But these other two areas kind of feed feed the yeah. creative parts of ourselves where we know, okay, you know, this isn't necessarily going to make us the money, but it helps us to feel like we're still growing as, as uh, creative people. So yeah. So we're, yeah, we've been really sense. fortunate because without that publishing Absolutely. leg, you know, it comes and it goes, yeah. and so mm-hmm. does the performance income. But um, it's been enough where we can we Good. can make make a living, and it's it's never predictable. But you know, life is never predictable, yeah. so it actually teaches you a lot about 
sure. how to um, be flexible and and resilient and you know respond yeah. <laughs> to the tasks yeah, at sure. hand and you know for make sure. it work. Yeah, we yeah, stayed in music the whole time. See, that's amazing to me, and I'm I'm really glad you did. And I want to ask you, I I have a lot more. I want to talk to you about Bagtown because it's really good, and I like it a lot. Thank you. And I want to ask you about these '80s shows too. But one, this might be a really unique question, but I've never been able to ask it with any of the people. I've done like a hundred of these, and I don't think I've had anyone on in this situation. One of the places I hear I can't wait the most is at sporting events, specifically uh-huh. usually yeah. pro <laughs> basketball games. Uh-huh. Right? I think the Miami Heat did it first. Was that where it was? Because yeah, I, remember... I think they did it first, and now it's it's sort of a basketball meme. I think. Yeah. It's like the old baseball organist things that that you know that they used to yes. play. Yes. Um, yes. And and yeah, that's really cool. And I, I like to uh, being the most non-sports guy that you will ever speak to <laughs> in the world. Uh, I mean, my right. my sport that I like to watch is Jeopardy. Um, ah, there you go. But I like to brag to people that I had a a great NBA career, you know. <laughs> and actually, I've done music for the Seattle Sonics and the Portland Trailblazers, of course. Really? Well, I figured you might have for the Trailblazers. That's when they great. were in the playoffs for three years in the 90s. Yeah, I don't want to uh, talk about that because my team is the Utah Jazz. Uh-huh. And it was almost always the Trailblazers and the Jazz in the playoffs or the Jazz and the Supersonics. And a lot of those years, you guys beat us, and I'm still hurt about it. Uh-huh. But I won't, uh-huh. I won't, you know, and you don't care because you're not a sports guy. I don't care. Those were uh, <laughs> rough years. <laughs> those were rough times for me. Um, but, yeah, when I starting around the 90s, I would hear it, and, you know, it would always be like after, you know, a timeout or something. Someone's dribbling the ball up the court, and you hear the bass line. And I remember at first thinking, hey, right, this is my kind of place, right on. They're picking good music. So, but now that it's everywhere, you know, sensitively as, I, as you can, how does that work? Do you, does someone just buy a new shoe CD and play it no, and you no, don't no. make any money off that? Or do I'll you tell you how that something? works is that all yeah. those big venues, all the enormous domes and uh-huh. stadiums and stuff, pay a blanket license fee to uh, ASCAP and BMI. Okay. And so okay. they don't have to do accounting. You know, it's uh, just sort of like restaurants, uh, and restaurant owners hate this, but they have to pay the same blanket license to have oh. a radio on or Muzak or whatever okay. in a restaurant. But then they don't have to account for each individual song that gets played in the night. Okay. They don't have to so log then, it or anything. Right. So does ASCAP divvy up that all the money that comes in from those fees based on is there any rhyme or reason to it like queen yes. do they make more than everyone else because yes. they have we yes. are the and champions Michael Jackson and we will rock gets you gets more okay. than new shoes even though he's dead you right. know right right <laughs> they, right they apportion it based on your share of the okay. market you know okay it's pretty okay. simple really okay that's what i've always wondered how that worked if there even was a business scheming behind it okay good uh, see, this is no, what I want. This is the kind of stuff you. I've always wondered. You know, I just want to make sure new shoes is getting paid, so they right can on. make things like bag time, <laughs> bag town. Yes. So we're okay. okay. You know. I, I well, that's what that's what I think. That's why I, I want to tell these stories because everyone, like I said, I'm hoping that they, anyone who listens to the podcast, sees new shoes as the next guest. And oh, 
I know new shoes, and then they hit play, and then I Can't Wait starts, and then it's, of course I know this song, and here's the story of the people behind those that song, which you may or may not know. And, of course, there's more to it than just that song, and that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. One other business thing, though, these 80s shows. So when I came and saw you in Salt Lake City, you know, you guys are the first band. You play, I think, the two songs, Point of No Return and I Can't Wait. The sun is still out. It's like 90 degrees when you're out there, and you're in your beautiful black dress, Val. I felt so bad for you because it was so hot. <laughs> Salt Lake City, that was that outdoor thing, wasn't it? Yes, it was an amphitheater. Yeah, yeah, that was a great gig. I liked that With gig. With Motion was on that. Yep, Joe. yep. Great guy. Yeah. Um, and you don't know this, but we I have a picture of us, of me and my brother with you two. So oh, great. There you have it, yeah. Cool. So we actually met briefly for a second there. But I was wondering, like, how many of those shows at this stage in your career, how many of those do you play? Do you play, like, one a month? Do you go on a short tour and that's it? Do you ever play outside of the U.S.? I know that's three questions in one, but those are the things I'm most curious about. Well, it's been different. We just we started doing them in 2013. 13, that's right. Okay. And uh, just did, did a handful. And we, we, we had gotten phone calls from this one agent who had been trying to get us on a freestyle tour and mm-hmm. a freestyle explosion tour and and we were like nah, we don't do that you know we 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 we've moved on we play jazz now whatever but she was really persistent and finally she said you know these are really fun i think you're going to really yeah. have a great time doing this you should just try a couple so the first yeah. year we did it we did about I don't know, four or five of them? We did six the first year, ten the second year, ten or eleven the third year, and then we had about 16 last year. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, so... Very cool. But we kind of missed our band, too, so that's kind of what happened there. Like, we we want to go actually play music. Well, you know, it's just a... They're two different animals, and they both have great value to us in uh-huh. our lives, sure. you know? Sure, But you, when you go out and play 15 minutes versus, uh-huh. you know, just the two of us versus going yeah. out and playing an hour and a half yeah. and getting deeper into the catalog and you get to play with, you know, these really wonderful musicians, it's just different and it's fun. And I'm glad yeah. we get to do both, actually. Right. Because uh, one okay. without the other at, at this point in time wouldn't work. So last year, combined the two the, with the band and the shows that we go and do by ourselves around the country, we played about 21 shows. And oh, okay. Next year will be the first time we get out of the country. We're going to be playing in the Dominican Republic in uh, November nice. with a nice. thing called 80s in the Sand, and that's going to be oh. pretty amazing. Everybody from nice. Howard Jones to Jerry oh, Watley is going to be on that oh, one. Oh, Howard Jones is on that? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I love I him too. so much. Um, so, oh, that's been great. great. Yeah, Good. the combination of the two things really makes for a nice life. I bet. I bet. And that's, you know, it's. I love the way you said that, John, because at this stage in your life, you've earned that. You know what I mean? It's. It must be nice after you were saying, what was it, 40, 45 years? To be at this stage, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm projecting onto you, you get to make great mailbox money through your hits that are still – evergreen and you get to get to go out there and appeal to both sides of your personality you get to pay homage to your history and focus on the new stuff and you get to put new out new music out there i would think these are kind of like yeah these are like the good days right yeah Yeah, and we're grateful that 
people really love our uh, couple of hits, you know. We had three hits, actually. The other ones should yeah, I say did. yes. only got to 41. I know. So we didn't get all that free Casey Kasem, American I know, Top 40 bummer. kind of thing. Yeah, it just got yeah. to 41. That was a great record, too. It was. And yeah. I wondered, I was going to ask you about that, because it was not, it's a great, no offense, it wasn't quite as well received as the first one. Were you yeah, guys, well, man, how did you feel about that? I Can't Wait that? was such a gigantic hit. Here's a way yeah. to think about it. What about that poor guy? That made Gundam style. What the hell <laughs> yeah. is he gonna follow that with? You know, <laughs> right. seven fucking right. billion plays, <laughs> right. right? It's he probably right. got another seven billion today, you yeah. know. And his yeah. follow up was just like, you know, you know yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? I can't wait. Was like right. this perfect thing, and then yeah. everybody looks at us and goes, "Oh, what's next?" Well, we never ever ever tried to make another I Can't Wait. The yeah. second album, I was like, I want to be Lowell George. <laughs> mm. I want to be in Little Feet now. Really? Yeah. yeah he forgot to get a female singer to write yeah. for. <laughs> Think right. like David Lee Roth. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Otis Redding. <laughs> yeah, Otis That's Redding. Great. You know, to the label's credit, they never gave uh-huh. us any pressure. Good. They didn't know what the hell they had. They didn't understand sure. us at all, but uh, we didn't know how to say tell people who we were either. No, yeah, and imagine. and there were layers of insulation between us and the powers that be too. Yeah. But they never hassled us, and nobody ever said, "Oh, you need to make another thing." Like, what tempo was that? Oh, it's one hundred and four. Well, give me six more songs at one hundred and four, uh-huh. and we'll pick right. one. You know, we right. never had any Good. pressure in that direction. And, Did and you stay our, in Portland our manager, the whole time? Rick, he liked to say that they gave us enough rope to hang ourselves, and we yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Yeah. But, but there was never any pressure to uh, replicate that. And how okay. could you? I understood that immediately. Right. That that was, you see, a hit record is is a it's like a perfect storm. Yeah. It's the meeting of the song, the singer the recorded performance and what the business is like at that time. Yeah. Whatever's happening in yeah. the business at that time. Very you know? true. Yeah. And and so that was like a god that just came together for us, you know, and set yeah. us up 
in a way, set up the rest of our lives. Right. But you can't replicate that. So I'm like, no. yeah, slide guitars. You know, sure. I'm like, uh, uh, I want to go Leon Russell now, you know. <laughs> right. There you go. Because nice. Did you guys stay in Portland the whole time, or did you ever relocate yeah, down to L.A.? We looked for another place mm. to live that didn't rain so much. And right. even before we got signed, we said, we got this hot band. We need to take it somewhere like L.A. or something. So we took an exploratory trip down to L.A., uh, about four of us from the band. And okay. uh, we went down there, and it was pay to play. And it, The production uh, values were not even in the same galaxy as Portland. Portland, for a band that was on the level that we were. Yeah, sure, in, the clubs, right. in the clubs, we had major sound systems, major lighting systems. Uh, a couple bands before us, Johnny and the Distractions, for one, really upped the ante on the production values. And so by the time we hit the clubs in Portland, it was for real. And so we get down yeah. to L.A., and it's like uh, these bands, these poor bands had to sell tickets to their shows and, you know, had this, yeah, had the frickin' wheel that goes around yeah, that used rough. to so- shine yeah. on the uh, flocked Christmas tree. You know the one with <laughs> the, with the four pieces of plastic, right, in a circle, and it would spin around. That was their lighting. You know. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, and punk was coming in. It was like, oh man, let's go <laughs> yeah. home. You know. Yeah, you move down there, and you're one of a million other bands trying to do the same thing, right? Whereas yeah. in Portland, you're in your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just sad, and we came home gladly, and we never did find a place to live. In retrospect, I wish that after Poolside, I had gone and hung out in uh, that. Me and Val had gone and hung out in Amsterdam for a while. No, because I think they understood good. the club thing, and we didn't at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had no idea of what that was about. Okay. Well, you uh you guys have at least one kid, right? Yeah, yep. one. One and done. Okay. One and done. Yeah. And uh how old is he now? He's 21 and a half. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> you know, when they're two and a half, they say, "Yeah, yeah I'm not two, I'm two and a half. I'm 61 right. and a half." <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, once you hit a certain age, you stop doing that because you don't want to. You don't want to move that fast. But, right. Yeah. I've okay. started doing it again because like the half is kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's great. Okay, so th- during the height, the reason I was asking is because during the height then of new shoes during that mid to late eighties, it's still just the two of you. So you yeah. could have ventured off and done something like that if you'd wanted to, or it would have been easier to anyway. Right. Yeah, we weren't carrying a band at that time. Yeah. Okay. I always so Val, thought of us as oh. a band, like the sound of it. Yeah. You know, I always even when it was just down to me and Val, it was like we were a soul band with horns. You know, because yeah. whenever we would play out, the few times that we did, and we did one national tour. That yeah, I was. was ask uh, you about that. We we played seventy cities in seventy three days. Oh my god. It almost what? killed the band members. I bet. And and the three days wow. off we did laundry. Yeah, no kidding. I was watching a clip of you just a minute ago with Dick Clark on American yeah. Bandstand. Was it during that period that you're? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so um, um, and was that you'll notice how band, clean our clothes are. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, here's how little I understood about the music business. I got kind of pissed off because we played the same nine songs for all those uh, 70 dates. We played the frickin' uh-huh. record, you know, and the audience only responded. A lot of times they would sit on their hands, and they would only respond to the songs that they'd heard on the radio. Yeah, right. Well, I just didn't understand show business, you know. I was uh-huh. a jazz guy, for Christ's sake. Yeah. I wanted to write right. a song backstage, write it up for the horns and play it, you know, and be constantly yeah. making up new things. But yeah. that's not show business. Show business Did you is do that? Do you think you business. could have spread what? out a little bit? What? Could you have spread out a little bit like that if you'd wanted to? Oh, I don't know. I I, uh, uh, I don't know. It's not what they wanted, but I guess it would have it's been. It's not what they wanted, and, and we yeah. were on the bus for 16 hours. You know, I could have done it, <laughs> Yeah. but yeah. I was busy writing their next record in the bathroom sure, on sure. the bus. But right. anyway, like, like that's not show business, though. Show, yeah. You know, we always, I always wanted us to be the Grateful Dead of funk. Like, oh, let's play really? this song. And I'm not a deadhead. I, I've learned to like yeah. them because my son's girlfriend likes them. <laughs> but I wanted to be the Grateful Dead of funk in terms of, Got it. let's play this song for 45 minutes. Yeah, there you And go. let's do an Egyptian yeah. space jam in the middle of it and then bring it yeah. back. But yeah. that's not show business. Show business is Sammy Davis doing the Candyman on the Carson show. Right. Right? <laughs> right, right, Tony right. Bennett doing San Francisco. Yeah. I left my heart in San Francisco <laughs> for the next 50 years. Yeah, yeah. And you got to understand that that music is different from entertainment. Mm. Makes right? sense. Right, one music is Coltrane playing my favorite things for three yeah. sides of a record. Right. And right. entertainment is striking a nerve with the audience. Yeah. Because they love the Candyman and and Sammy doesn't hate singing it. I met him once. Right. I met really? Sammy Davis, yeah. And actually, I didn't talk to him about the Candyman, but he was on a talk show in L.A. right before us. We were next, uh-huh. and Bianca Jagger was after us. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. Yeah, right. Oh, so I'm whoa. in the hallway, and he finishes his bit, and they were joking with him about, does he mind doing the Candyman over and over? Uh-huh. And he said, no, I don't mind doing the Candyman over and over, but I forget the words sometimes. <laughs> so he really? gets off this show. Yeah, of course. Mel forgets wow. the words that I can't wait sometimes. You know, it's <laughs> no just way. like whatever you've eaten that day or whatever. I, I don't guess. know. But anyway, he comes off. This is this is my superstar encounter. Uh-huh. Uh, he comes off the the talk show, you know, undoes his lavalier, <laughs> and he walks into the wings, and he looks at me, and he go holds out his hand. He's shorter than me, by the way. I'm 5'7". Oh. Uh, holds out his hand and goes, Sam. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, and I shook his hand, and that was it. That was oh, my big uh, rat pack. That was the main That's mo- my one moment. degree of, no, no degrees oh, of separation gosh. from the rat pack. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's so, great. So you understand the point here is that, that sure. music and Absolutely. entertainment. Yeah are different animals, and we didn't understand yeah. the uh, entertainer part of it. Got you know, it. I was just like, fuck, I want to make, like, yeah. some new chord changes and put yeah. horns over you gotta them. you got to give them what they want. 
slap some words on it, you know, and they're all like, sure. dun, 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 yay, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and at the time, with my understanding, I was 30 at the time, it just pissed me off, you know, yeah, and now it. I understand I it. it, now when we go yeah. out on the 80s tour, I'm like, God, thank God you still love these, yeah. these yes. pieces of work, these paintings, yes. you know, it's yeah. like, like Da Vinci, you know, he's like, God, Mona Lisa again. You know, look at my notebooks. Look right. at, Tony Mitchell had that famous thing that she said. Wow, do they ask Van Gogh to paint Starry Night again? Right, right. You know, but now I, I understand know. it. I understand that okay. that giving the joy to people is yeah. different from being in the Coltrane classic quintet. Right, right. You know, yeah, I, you give I them wanted what they to want. be. That's what they want to see. I wanted to be in the Jimi Hendrix Experience or the Coltrane Quintet, and oh, wow. I ended up in New Shoes, and it's not yeah. that bad. No, no, <laughs> you guys are lucky. When you were touring those seventy days, were you headlining, opening? Who were you out with? We were out with Fat Boys, Morris Day and the Time, the Jets. Really? Um, the Jets, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really nice people. Really awesome. Yeah. And there's um, a million of them. I know. Oh, come I know. on. Who, no, it's true. I they. Um, oh, Billy in, Ocean. Uh, Thank you. That was oh, and love Billy to, Ocean. Yeah. Wow. Very sweet, sweet guy. Yeah, Billy Ocean. Good. I'll be sure. Oh um, yes. We were we were on a lot of R and B tours. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, which was good a good place for us. Yeah. Yeah, that was the other kind of amazing thing about that song is how many different charts that it was on, you know. Yeah. Dance, yeah. urban, R and B and and of course pop uh the pop charts sure. too, but it's it's something that we appreciate now too because the shows that we're playing, um, just the two of us where we go around the country are have a diff- all of them are different. You know, yeah. some of them are are like the ones you saw, which you know is kind of right. more the new wave bent. And then we've sure. got some other shows with uh, Lisa Lisa and Expose and oh, there you go, you and the whole freestyle crowd. Yeah, we I was thrilled to meet Flock of Seagulls, by the way. Oh, really? Because mm-hmm. I, I love those couple of records they made. I do too. Really underrated. People and and, and psychedelic. You know, it was kind of like eighty psychedelia. Which they just really nailed. I think that they get lumped in with like simp- because of the hairdos and the and the synthesizers. They get lumped in with like simplistic synth pop or something, but they're not. Especially, I feel bad. I wish I'd love to talk to the guitarist, the original one. I think his name was Paul, because he's an amazing guitarist, and not enough people are paying attention to the bass and the guitar and the actual musicianship that's going on in a flock of seagulls song yeah they just he was probably the architect of that whole sound yeah you know yeah. like johnny marr was with the whatchamacallits uh the smiths yeah yeah, yeah. oh that goodness stuff, you Boy, know more about that stuff than i do uh that's i my, didn't really that's follow my, that that's stuff. My, when i grew up you know that's my wheelhouse yeah this is what it's about for me yeah, yeah. my so, my wheelhouse okay. was more like the Akiyoshi Tobacco Big Band and stuff. <laughs> I can't say that I've ever been turned on to the Akiyoshi, whatever you said, band. Toshiko Akiyoshi, <laughs> she was like this arranger. Okay. Uh, from the, the who hit her stride in the seventies, and of course Coltrane, and 
We listened sure. to Coltrane well, and Charlie Coltrane. Parker during that whole period that you were Depeche Moding. That's crazy. Yeah, Depeche Moding. Yes. I know. It's not, I made it strange. into a verb, man. You did. That's perfect, too. You nailed it. It's very true. That's what I was doing in the 80s, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we liked Chic a lot. Oh, Chic. There I you think, go. You know, yes. here's, the, here's the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, was that people now probably don't automatically understand that you didn't have every record in the world. Yeah, yeah. We had, you, you could say that the New Shoes sound was based on about six records. Yes. One of them was the message by Grandmaster Flash. There you go. There you go. Um, and and we not just that not just the hit, but every kick and snare pattern on yes. that record because it was one of our few records made it onto a, a new shoe song. You know, that's incredible. Like we go, sure. And we go, oh, let's write a song over that. And another one was, of course, Chic Good Times. Yeah, definitely. And the first remix I ever heard was a Fila record, Fila Cootie, from Africa. Oh, I it love was this Fila record Cootie. Called oh, Joplin goodness. Me. Yes. Um, and and they were the first ones that did a dub mix that I heard, where they break down of the cowbell and throw it through an echo and. Really. All this stuff. Yeah. Oh, I gotta find that. I love Fila Cootie. Yeah. I love him. I think it was Fila. Oh my goodness. Okay. Anyway, Jafun Me is the name of the song. Okay, I'll look for it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and okay. and so you know we had, and you couldn't, we couldn't really afford to buy records. We had uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's greatest hits. The best. And we had yeah. every Tower of Power record. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. which uh, I love Tower of Power to death. Great place to learn horn arranging. Bad place to learn songwriting. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Why? Because the horn arrangements were better than the songwriting. Oh, uh, got it. Got bumpy, it. bumpy, sense. bump. You sense. know. I, yeah, we, that makes sense. We never would do down at the nightclub because yeah, okay. that was like dipping a little okay. low. But I love Greg Adams, who was the arranger for uh, for that band. Anyway, yeah. back to showbiz questions. No, I've this rambled is fun. Enough. This is fun. That's okay. My two favorite kinds of music at this stage in my life are to discover more 80s alternative and 70s R&B. And I've decided that my my holy trinity of 70s R&B are Earth, Wind & Fire, The Brothers Johnson, and mm. Heat Wave. Mm-hmm. I can't, those three basically don't do anything wrong. In yeah, my that's, book, that's, you know that's what I mean. A good, that's a good triumvirate there. We got to do yeah. a show with Heatwave. You did, oh. yeah. And it was, and, and Zap was on that too, which oh. was amazing. Um, Goodness. But yeah, Heatwave songwriting yeah. was so good. I know, and we lost Rod Temperton this year. Yes, sir. He was sir. another another legend that, and oh, yeah. My kids and I, we have every now and then we have a dance party. My kids are young; they're nine eight and four Fun. and some days we have a we have a dance party and when we do the two biggest songs that we always go back to are groove line by heatwave and stomp by the brothers johnson and they were both written by rod temperton those are the songs we like to get down to yeah he was anyway. tapped into something very soulful he sure was chordally sure was. and vocally and mm-hmm. arrangement wise okay val i got we let's switch focus to you because john and i could just keep nerding out for a while 
here. But I wanted to talk to you about how amazing you sound on Bagtown. Oh, I've been dying thanks. to tell you this. Yes. Now, I, I wonder, I mean, you've always had a great voice, but I, when I listen to Bagtown, especially Soul Cushion, I feel like this, your voice has become so much deeper and more resonant. And I don't mean deeper in terms of octaves. I just mean more, there's even more power behind it. Coming out in Bagtown because that is such a fun record. It is and a fun record. Not that many people's voice gets better as they get older, and yours does. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with these 20 years of voice teaching, or what is it? What's your secret to to this? Thank you. I appreciate. Sure. I, mean, I appreciate that. I oh didn't. My gosh. I didn't so really good. like my voice for a really long period of time because really? I always sounded like I was 12 to me. Mm. The thing about when you grow older, is that all the uh, all the cartilage in your body still grows? Did you know that? It's really yeah. No, I don't science think science nerd I don't fact. Think I knew that. Yeah. yeah. So your nose, your ears, your larynx, and so oh. since that's the uh, that's basically the the instrument there, and it continues to grow. Your voice deepens as you get, you know, and gets okay. becomes richer. So like if you sure. go listen to early Bonnie Raitt. And then you listen yeah. to later Bonnie Raitt. The, yeah. That's the the same thing happens. It's like okay. she's gone from being a, a violin to a cello, and yeah. uh, cello's always been my favorite instrument. So I, you know, of the strings. So yeah, I think that's partly what happened. Okay. And and then um, teaching is a great way of learning, and I totally learned a ton from my students and all the different voices that I got to. Um, yeah. Seeing my, you know, listen to and work with in my studio every week, and yeah. and I had a really, really awesome voice teacher, and I got to do a lot of different kinds of music. So all okay. good fertilizer for you know right. something else to to happen at this point in my life. Yeah, I feel like when <clears throat> listening to Bagtown and the New Shoes Orchestra album, Pandora's Box, I feel like you and. I'm I'm a nobody, but so I'm just telling you what I think. But um, my feeling is that you went from being a singer who sang R&B to an R&B singer. Does that make oh, sense? Oh, that's cool. That's lovely. Yeah. I, I mean, and and my twenty-something-year-old self would have really, <laughs> really appreciated that because mm-hmm. I had such a hard time singing R&B because I just did not grow up around it. My mom really? was a classical singer. My dad was an MD that uh, was in barbershop quartets when he was in medical school. Oh, interesting. And uh-huh. uh, they sang a lot together, but it was all, you know, musicals and Gilbert and Sullivan. And my mom's yeah. voice was incredible. 
incredible. And and so I never actually was going to would have thought of myself as a singer because I knew what a real singer sounded like. So yeah, yeah, no, then, I it's there's a maturation there, and I and I hope it's okay that I say this because I'm not in any way criticizing obviously how you sounded in the '80s. I'm just saying. There's a no, no, maturation just, to your voice. That, yeah, it's different. Like I said, you're now, to me, an R&B singer, whereas before you were singing R&B music. Yeah. There, to me, there's a difference. Yeah. That's a beautiful yeah, distinction well there. Thank you. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm glad I'm glad you're okay no, with no, that. No, I, I no. I, you know, that's the other thing uh, that's great about getting older is that hopefully you learn not to take anything personally because really well, good. it's I not mean, about no. you anyway. <laughs> good. You know? Well, I don't, I mean, yeah. yeah. As you get older, it's like, get off compliment. my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay, so you got to tell me. I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, and it's my turn to ask the question. What are the best and worst things about being married for all this time and working together in a band? That's one of the big three questions. I believe it. I know. Yeah. I pride myself on... get the name on... of the band. Yeah, What's there it like you go. To be... Married and in a band. Married, yeah. And what's I can't wait about? Oh, well, I can't go. wait is about <laughs> three four, and a half minutes three, long. Four and a half minutes <laughs> long. We go. we got the name New Shoes because we needed something to put on the poster because we had a gig. Okay. And uh, being married was great, really, because like I said, you know, the rest of the band was out for two and a half months, right? And yeah. their relationships back home just fell yeah. into ruin, fell yeah. into tattered, sh- you know, shards. Yeah. And Val and I were together, and we That's great. were doing the press and, you know, flying to Paris and lip-syncing on sure. TV and having these experiences <laughs> together Yeah. that uh, the other members of our band would call home and go, oh, it was on Dick Clark. Oh, that's nice. It was really a problem for them. Yeah, and I, I think it. that Val and I are a great couple because we have completely different backgrounds and lifestyles and stuff. But we go to an art museum and we both pick out the same painting. Really? And say Whoa. that we like it. Nice. You know, and and really, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, she's a modernist and I'm in the 1500s art world. Sure. You know, but but when it comes down to it, we uh, have very compatible tastes. Well, maybe I should have listener. asked what's the worst part then. Yeah, what? that's what I want. a good listener. What? <laughs> Sorry, Val. Did you just say something? Turn up his hearing aid and he'll listen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You're an asshole. You know that? Oh, that's great. <laughs> I never liked you. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, new shoes is coming to an end right here. You know what new shoes means in uh, Arabic? Arabic. No. New shoes. Look it up. It, it means <clears throat> in Arabic. It means marital discord. Our <laughs> new shoes. And you're supposed to go to the imam and have him work this out according to Islamic law yeah. to wow. work out the marital discord. And I think basically what the imam will tell you is that the wife must obey. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, you're sir. in trouble now, yes. honey. <laughs> yes, no, it's, no uh, it really does, though. It was okay. it was rough at, you know, some of the time back then because, sure. you know, there's it's tough. 
like John said, those were the good parts, being able to be on right. the road together and stuff. And then, and then you know, it's, there's creative yeah. disagreements and sure. And you work through it, and it's it's not as hard as you know having children together. <laughs> That's oh, what we I learned. Know that. You know, My we goodness. thought we've been through everything. Having a kid, that'll be easy. I don't know. Yeah. Parenthood was pretty wonderful. Oh, I'm not complaining about I didn't it. Want, I didn't want sure. to do it. This was one of Val's good ideas. Okay. Yeah, and but I'm just saying that, it, you know, it, yeah, we thought we'd been I through everything know. together. And, yeah. and thank God we did that. We have an amazing, wonderful, creative son. It's not all uh, perfect by any means, but I feel you yeah. know, like we've we've really had an amazing ride. And like you said, yeah. there's so many people who... who it, this is oh, just such man. a weird business. It'd be hard to explain yeah. it to, to anybody coming home. I can that imagine. was sitting at home, yeah, imagine. trying yeah. to be supportive, but you know. But they didn't get to hear yeah. the roaring crowd, you know. Uh, I'm sure. I know. Yeah. And you guys get to go back to your little uh, your tour bus and kind of revel in that stuff. I was ta- I listened to a podcast with Dee Snyder of uh, Twisted Sister a while uh-huh. back. And he's been married to the same woman this whole time. For oh, like good for him. Year, like 40 years or something like that. He seems like a smart guy. I agree. I agree. And and uh, he was saying, he was telling a story about how they went to marriage counseling. The therapist or whatever said, you know what the difference is between you guys and the couples that get divorced? And they said, what? And he said, nothing. It's just that you two have committed to stay together and the others didn't. Wow, and that's same, great. And I... I think about that a lot because every marriage has the same challenges, basically, you know, and I don't know about you. I've been, I mean, I haven't been married as long as you, but we still fight about the same things we fought on day one, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're either committed to sticking it out or you're not. And at the end of the day, I think that overrides, that overrides love a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. The commitment. Anyway. I'm listening to me telling you guys about marriage, but that's just my uh, that's my thinking on it, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think you have All to right. keep re, re, remaking the marriage, you know, too. Yes. That very it, true. as you change yeah. as a person, you get in trouble if you think you know the other person inside very and out because you really don't. Yeah. You don't. You yeah. don't know every corner of this, you know, this being, right. and they're changing too. So. I, I think you get in trouble when when you start to solidify into a I I know this person I know all their thoughts I know that's interesting you say that because that's probably the basis of a lot of the arguments that my wife and I get into is that kind of a thing like sizing the other person up you think you know but in this case you don't right anyway no one staying likes to open, feel that staying way staying open to the to to, the, to a new moment that's possible and not yeah. again taking things personally or, you know, yeah, it's just, it's very true. It's a good learning. That's for sure. Good. So okay. to, to make a transition that that's actually relevant, <laughs> Bagtown <laughs> was the most fun we had m- making a record together. Good. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, because we decided that it was going to be the last new shoes record. And really? So we just had fun. And everybody was in, and and me and Val worked really great together on it, and yeah, it was joyous. Like every note of it was was pure joy. Well, it comes out. Fun. I'm curious why you would say it needs to be the last. If anything, I would hear that and I would think, new shoes are are in a position where they're free to do more stuff like Bagtown. They don't have to keep rewriting. I can wait anymore. 
They can do oh, that on their did, 80s tour. But, uh, well, true, yeah, as you've established. But you know what I mean. You can do what you want now. Well, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we could get off into an explanation mm. of this, but it's kind of like, for me, I think it was, uh, I wanted to uh, do painting instead. Oh, really? You know, and the world is flooded with music now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we wanted to make a record where everybody was all in. And who knows, you know, yeah. it might not be okay. true. We might make another record in three years or something. But okay. just the act of saying that sure. was, like, joyous. And I think it was really Opened fun you up. for right. Val and I as a couple. Don't you feel that way? Just say yes. Yes. <laughs> it was awesome in every way. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think it was. No, it was a really good. fun record to make. And yeah, yeah, we might make count, another one, but but the act of saying it's sort of like you yeah. know those Japanese calligraphers that with the yeah. brush, you know, and they sit mm-hmm. there all day, and then they finally make their pen stroke. Mm-hmm. That's what it was kind of like. It's like if this was your last record, uh, what would you do? What would you, what would you do? And there's say? a line on yeah. the record: if you were you and it was now, what would you do? Which is something I hear around the house all the time. Mm. Um, that's deep. I love that. That gives a, that's such a great record anyway, but that provides a lot of context. Yeah. That makes it, it even deeper. Like, I like that. Throw down and Because you really truly never do know when anything yeah. is going to be the last time that you do something. No, you so don't. I think yeah. you kind of get that, especially the age that we're getting to be. It's kind of like, sure. well, this could be the last gig. This could be the yeah. last. You know, I mean, and yeah. you start to appreciate each moment because it's a smaller piece of the whole entire pie that you've been living mm-hmm. your whole life, you know? Yeah. And people are mortal. You know, we look around at the band yeah. members and go, oh, my God, you know, what oh would boy. I do without yeah. you? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. It would be all different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so we we're, we're, we just know how to have more fun now, I think. That's, Good. That's the bottom line. Well, you've and, earned it. Right. And, and, uh, count was fun. And, and yeah. that was fun. It continues to be fun because we... We basically, you know, needed new songs to play with our live band, sure. and, and now we we've got them. And um, people seem to, you know, the 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 big test was the first uh, time we played them out, and was the dance floor going to fill up or not? And it did, uh-huh. and it was like, aha, yeah. it's okay. working! Yeah. Yay! Yeah. Yay! We succeeded! Good. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. I'm glad. Well, cool. Well, uh, that's. Uh, I just want. I have one last question. I want to know what your favorite memory of all of this is. And maybe John sort of touched on that with those those couple of years there in the early 80s when you're struggling, but it's fun because you're excited. What When you look back, is it a Sammy Davis Jr. kind of moment? Is it a Dick Clark kind of moment? Is it a particularly good show? Is it hearing the song on the radio? What's the sweetest memory above and beyond all of the other memories? Do you want to go first, Sal? No, I'm thinking. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One of the great ones for me, it was 1988. It was the Atlantic Records 40th anniversary show at Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. And for me, the show sucked. That was another story because we were supposed (laughs) to play with Paul Schaefer and the the, uh, Letterman Band. 
Yeah. And yeah. and I'm standing on the side of the stage hanging out with Will Lee, and I think this is going to happen, right? And at the last yeah. minute, they shoved me out there with a dead keyboard and Val, and we're like oh, duo. No. But the cool part was we were backstage getting our picture taken by Annie Leibovitz. And oh, man. Paul Schaefer walks up to me, and he knows the producer that we're working with in Minneapolis, Megan Told You So. David Z, uh-huh. who was, you know, he made When Doves Cry, and he knew oh, Prince wow. when he was there a teenager, go. and we were working okay. at Paisley Park and stuff. Mm-hmm. Paul Schaefer comes up to me in the back of Madison Square Garden, and he goes, hey, man, I heard this song that you wrote called Monte Carlo Night, which uh, was an organ tune. The fact that he remembered this tune, like I just ripped wow. and played it for him, and he was like, oh, this guy's cool. So he yeah. remembered, he had. He was so classy that he remembered the name of the song. And how many showbiz things does this guy have no going kidding. on? No kidding. Right? No kidding. He comes up to me, and he goes, guy, dig that Monte Carlo night wow. that you wrote. And I think that was a big one. That's cool. I never heard that story That's all these amazing. years later, and I, I'm, like, hearing a new story. Wow. The gig wow. stupid. Yeah. But yeah. whatever, it's over, and you have wow. that memory from it. That's and cool. Yeah, that was the good part. Yeah. That's that, crazy. I like that story. Good. I like that story, too. And uh, Okay, Val. Yeah. What have well, you got? Well, actually, there's, there's kind of two, and it's okay. sort of emblematic of two different time periods, actually. The first one is the first time that I was driving down the street in my little Toyota Corolla station wagon in Portland, Oregon on a sunny day, uh-huh. and I Can't Wait came on the radio, and I was like, oh, my God, there it is. I hadn't <laughs> heard it on the radio yet, and I cranked oh, it and started singing along with the song and then oh, realized wow. I was singing along with myself on the radio. Yes. And I just wanted oh. to roll down the window and just shout to the universe, oh, my God, I'm on the radio. You know, it's like after toiling in obscurity for seven years yes. with our band, it was it was a huge it was a huge deal because it was a miracle. More people get hit by lightning That's every amazing. year than, yes. you know, than these yes. things happen to. And so anyway, that was that was a really sweet moment. That's the best the most, description anyone's given of that moment, by the way. Oh, on really? This, on, my, on this show, yeah. <laughs> Out of 100 interviews, that's the best one. Thank cool. you for telling that story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just really sticks out in my mind uh, to this yeah. day because it was just so big and, and heartfelt. Good. And, you know, nobody nobody knew but me, but it was cool. 
And then this last gig that we played in Reno, and it took us like, oh, there was snow in Portland, so we went mm. to the airport the night before to spend the night so we wouldn't miss the flight the next day. And then we got on the flight, and it actually took off. It didn't get snowed in. That was cool. Oh, and then we ended up getting our flight delayed in uh, not delayed, it was canceled in San Francisco, so we ended up there for eight hours and finally left oh, at one man. in the morning, get there at three in the morning, do the show. They at, lost their luggage. Oh, they lost their luggage. Oh, yeah, whatever. of course. Oh, <laughs> the no. key didn't work when we, you know, went to the hotel room to finally <laughs> go to bed, yeah. you know, and that kind of right, stuff. Right, But the show the next day, which is just, you know, our 15-minute thing, mm-hmm. I felt like... All of that, you know, gets you in front of these people that are having mm-hmm. this moment where they get to relive some part of their their mm-hmm. childhood or their high school or college or whatever, you know, this this thing. They're yeah. connected to this music in this way that mm-hmm. I appreciate more than I ever did when we were doing it in the 80s. I That's felt amazing. like I got to connect with these people. And it doesn't right. always happen this way, but I feel like there's more... That's something that I that I I value more, and I understand how to do better than Good. when I was young. And I was worried Good. about what people thought of me. You know, sure. it's kind yeah. of like when you're, you know, when you first go to your high school reunion. You know, the the one that happens like five years after everybody graduates. Right. Everybody's kind of still right. doing the high school thing. And uh-huh. then you get to your 30th high school reunion, and yeah. everybody's just happy to be alive. And, <laughs> sure. you know, they're like, you know, they've dropped all the pretense and the bullshit. Right. And it's just, right. it's just a different feeling. And so that sort of is emblematic, I guess, of of what I feel like this is this time period's all about. And I'm just super yeah. grateful for it. Yeah. That's beautiful. So, I'm you know, so that glad. That story, what she just described, that's entertainment. Yeah, yeah. It really is. That's right? what it means. That's the difference yeah. between music and entertainment. Yeah, um, yeah but there's nothing like music to, to do that. That's there's well, nothing like music to true. to to do to draw to draw upon memory like that. I mean, nostalgia, yeah. you know, you can make fun of it, and we always did. You know, we were like, we're never uh, going to play those gigs in in those casinos and stuff. <laughs> right. Never say never, right? But they right. end up being incredibly fun, at least for me. I believe it, yeah. Because it's like you're giving somebody this this injection of happiness. Yeah, And yeah. how cool is that? You I know? know? I mean. I know. You're so lucky to, be, to have that power. We you know, are incredibly we're lucky. given a license to be a, a to deliver happiness to people like that. I mean, yep. you're just so blessed that that's, that's entertainment, what you get to man. do. Yeah. yeah, that's it. It you is. You know, that's that's what it means, and that's why yeah. it's valid, and it's another form of magic. Yeah, it really is. That's a good way of putting it. Magic. You're right. It really is. You're uh, you're manipulating the insides of people's you know hearts and minds and emotions. Yeah, calling upon notes in thin air to be able to do that—it's a power, you know. Yep. And you're you're able to wield this power. That's it's amazing. And it's the magic of something that we've agreed on as a society. That this is one of the things that moved a lot of us all at once. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you know, very like, good point. Like it's a summer day. You're in your car, the window down, and the hot air blowing in, and satisfaction mm-hmm. comes on. You know what I mean? And we I do. 
We are so well, for a lot of us, I can't wait. Is that is that moment? Yeah. We own a we own one of those, you know. Yeah, you do. That's it. Yes. And what a blessing, right? Yeah, really is. Well, guys, this is beautiful. Thank you so much for talking to me. I just love you both so much, and I'm so grateful that you're at such a great point in your lives and in your career. You absolutely deserve it, and you oh, brought a lot you, of happiness John. to people. Thanks for um, asking us to be on the show. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's a great oh, show. So I love the show and love, uh, you know, I'm going through all the episodes. And, oh, thank you. And you're really good at what <laughs> you do, so thanks. Oh, thank yeah, you so thanks much. Thanks for doing thanks it. Thanks a lot, guys. There you have it, Val and John of New Shoes. Seriously, so nice, right? Weren't they just the best? Guys, thank you if you're listening. Thank you very much for talking to me. That meant a lot to me. And everyone, go check out Bagtown. Even if it's just for curiosity's sake on Spotify, isn't it worth it to find out what artists, great artists like New Shoes are doing today? It is worth your time to check it out. Now, next week, we are going to continue on the series of Indelible Hits of the 80s, although Indelible may be a a stretch next week because we're going to be talking to someone who was in a band that put out one album that had one top 10 hit, and unfortunately, that was it. And it's not one of those hits that you still hear a ton today. It's been sort of lost to history, unfortunately. However, what makes this particular band a key part, a vital part of pop music history is that in their early days, in the late 70s and early 80s, their drummer went on to be one of the most famous people on the planet. So I hope you will come back next week and find out who these people are. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich for putting everything together. Guys, if this is your first time listening to us, please go into the archive, check us out. We've done almost 100 of these by now. And it's always wanting to find out more stories and, and the history of the artists that you don't hear from often enough. How are they doing? How do they pay their bills? What are their recollections of their career? How do they look back on it? The ups and the downs. These are the stories that we try to tell. You can write us a review. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send me a message on there if you want. If there's an artist that you love that you haven't heard from for a while that you'd like to have on the show, let me know. You can also send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter, which I barely do, at thehustlepod. We will be back next Tuesday. New episodes every Tuesday. Next Tuesday with a new episode, Indelible Hits of the 80s. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, everybody.